You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Just to get started, I'm Barry Marshall. I'm Clinical Professor of Microbiology at the University of Western Australia. And I hang out at the QE2 in the Marshall Centre, which is part of the old medical school building, second floor in L Block. Mm. Uh, I won the Nobel Prize, as you know, with Dr. Robin Warren in 2005. Robin's retired, but we see get active in different areas from time to time. Uh, and I uh, sort of chair activities here and guide things in the Marshall Centre, which is uh, an amalgamation of different microbiologists at UWA. Yep. Uh, but I'm actually happy to get anybody who's totally funded and doing something interesting into the Marshall Centre, so it's not not totally not particularly special. Yeah. Um, we have uh, a few people working on H. pylori yep. at the Helicobacter Research Lab, and my clinical interest now is that I'd be treating people with antibiotic resistant H. pylori. The yep. concept of pre- precision medicine is something that yep. we've been doing now for 20 years and have a bit of a worldwide reputation as being the go-to centre. If you really have a tough patient, you can usually yeah. talk to us about it. Yeah, we're seeing more and more of that in general practice, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the um, treatment-resistant H. pylori. Well, it means that uh, <clears throat> because we've got some resources uh, from the university and some funding from private sources uh, as well as uh, from the government, uh, we can put in a bit of extra if effort on those helicobacters mm. that are tough to treat mm. and get a you know, really a 99% cure rate even in, in the resistant bugs. Great. And it means that I have to travel around a bit and go to a few conferences because everybody's trying different things. Yep. And I uh, just came back from China and the USA where we saw all the latest stuff. I can tell yep. you, don't get too worried about helicobacter. <laughs> uh, there's things in the pipeline which are going to make Great. it easier to treat. Yep. Uh, probably uh, the pharmaceutical companies would be happy, you know, some expensive yep. new antibiotics. <laughs> they always are, aren't they, when they first come out? <laughs> Whenever you read about superbugs, you think, yeah, who's driving this information? There's always a new antibiotic somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Barry, perhaps if we take a step back, and I'm yeah. just interested to hear a bit about your background. Um, mm. Did a little bit of research before we met, and uh, I saw that you grew up in Kalgoorlie. Um, mm. Can you tell us a little bit about um, you know, your, your childhood, growing up, what your hobbies were? Yeah, sure. Um, well, actually, I was born in Kalgoorlie, and my pa- father was a fitter, so he used to be looking for jobs. And so this WA must have been a bit of a backwater in the years after World War Two, yeah, and the, one of the places that had money in the Depression and, and those times was always Kalgoorlie. You could always get good trades jobs there. So he went to school of mines and was a fitter. Yeah, and my mother uh, started a nursing career there, and she finished it many years later. So my parents were looking around for good, you know, good income, I suppose, with me uh, when he'd finished his apprenticeship and was working and in those days you may not realize that the u.s government decided that it needed to make a lot of atom bombs and nuclear power and everything so you're talking about uh, 1951 right. was the year yeah. i was born in cold the, war big yeah time. cold war the korean war that yeah. kind of stuff was happening the the russians had just let off a bomb so the americans are like god we'll need a few hundred more 
so what they did, they doubled the price of uranium and, and yep. set up this thing, Department of Energy or something, and um, they would buy all the uranium they could get their hands on at double the market price. Right. So every, you know, it was all of a sudden, uranium yeah. mines sprung up everywhere, and the one in Australia was in Northern Territory, and my poor parents got their old jalopy and started heading up the West Coast. You can imagine gravel and dirt roads and everything, yep. heading for the Northern Territory along the coast. And uh, I can't remember what happened, but for some reason they ended up in Carnarvon, and there turned out to be good trades jobs there in the okay. in the whaling station. So yeah. then my father worked on the whaling station as a right. fixing all the machineries and everything, and ultimately graduated to uh, a marine engineer on the whaling boats. And then yeah. eventually, after a few years, we came back to Perth. Yeah. And then went back to Kalgoorlie again. Right. And uh, but, but that, so I did the first couple of years of school in Kalgoorlie, which yep. was a pretty wild place. Still is. There were all these migrant kids everywhere. Yep. And uh, they would be, you know, fireworks were legal. Yep. You, after school, there was nothing to do but get up to mischief. <laughs> right. And uh, it was really uh, like happy days of one of those crazy yep. places. Yeah. Uh, so that was the 50s and there was not much technology around mm -hmm. but maybe I was a bit better off than most kids because my father did have his trades gear yeah. my mum had her nursing books so that I had a bit of anatomy and physiology and health books And so you were reading it even yeah, back then uh, yeah. as soon as I learned to read I just read yeah. everything I could lay my hands on right. that took me about a year and there was nothing more in the house right. so I was always going to the library uh, on the way to school yeah and I was interested in uh, uh, Jacques Cousteau and uh, yep. traveling to the bottom of the ocean, things like yep. that, all those things that kids used to dream about in the 60s. And then I was a paper boy. Uh, in, uh, after that, we, we moved to uh, Wembley. Yep. I lived in, we were in Scarborough for a while. And then in, in after about grade four, I was at Marist, which is the Subiaco Station precinct there. Yep. Uh, yeah. That used to be a, a school next to that church, and St John of God's was across the road. And, okay, yeah. And there, um, and uh, I used to mm, had a lot of brothers and sisters. It was yep. pretty active. Perth was a good place to live in, uh, and that was a great area because they had a big scrap metal yard where Subiaco Station is now. And yep. uh, so on the weekend, you could go there with your brothers and yep. climb all over. Uh, military equipment, <laughs> dangerous stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I was very interested in science, and as I said, uh, because my father was going up in the ranks, ran, he was running a chicken factory, yep. and that was pretty good business because Kentucky Fried was introduced, and <laughs> right. everyone first started eating chicken. So it was boom times in the sixties, as yep. you can imagine. And I was a paper boy, so I had a bicycle round uh, yeah. for a couple of years, and then. If you were behaving yourself and worked hard, you could get the hospital round. Which ah, meant I did worthy. both of those myself as I was growing up. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so I was John, John, John of God's hospital paper boy. Excellent. Yeah, that would have been a cream job back then. It was pretty good. Um, but I was, I was too honest, so I never made a lot of money out of it. But the guy before me, he used to dig the, the magazines out of the bin and resell them. <laughs> 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 Entrepreneur, what's he doing now? WA Inc. <laughs> probably. <laughs> he probably runs a chain of news agents or something. He's a good <laughs> businessman. Uh, so I did the, and because I was interested in the news, and the Beatles were coming to Australia. Yeah. 
you could buy I got a transistor radio for my like my 13th birthday I think and yep. uh, so very into the 60s music yeah <laughs> it was a great era and um, I was interested in chemistry yep uh, physics pretty much anything uh, yep. that was to do with that and I read every skin diving scuba diving book yep oceanography book in the city library yeah uh, so when I was in uh, I'm trying to think when I lived in Subiaco for some reason oh yeah before I even moved to Subiaco which is when I was about 13 I suppose I used to catch the bus from Scarborough into the city yep and then from the city down back out to Subiaco yep and uh, so that meant that I was always able to get access all the stuff in the city and yep. read a lot of science yeah. and there you go there you go <laughs> now I'm interested um, so you graduated from UWA in 1974 mm. um, did you stand out academically then do you think your classmates would have oh, seen every you every now and, and again I, they'd see a spark of brilliance <laughs> right and I, and I saw one of your thoughts you know did everybody say did Marshall he, Marshall's such a boffin but I wasn't no way was I a boffin um <laughs> A bit of ADHD, you'd call it nowadays, and yep. so uh, I think I'm still the same. Once I can, once I've solved the problem, I just want to move on yep. and hand it over to somebody who wants to develop it. Yeah. Um, you can't always have that luxury, so I sort of have that now in that I can get an idea, and someone will follow up on it and yep. see it through, and I can go on to the next yep. idea, yep. which suits me. So right. I ultimately ended up exactly where I wanted to be. Yep. Um, but uh, when I was at school, I was, you know, working, thinking about science and stuff like that 24 hours a day. But if you right. said, Barry, you know, what do you think about the history program? Yep. I'd say, I need to do enough so that I can get 51%. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I came pretty close at times. Yep. And uh, I... Yeah, you know, my there were there were issues with my family and my brothers yep. and sisters and things like that, which yep. worried me when I was a kid. So I wasn't yep. I wasn't just living in uh, a lap of luxury or anything. And I the other thing was that I had no professional people yep. in with a higher education right. uh, in my family. And I I had a mate, for example, and his parents were both school teachers. He's, he had two older brothers who were yep. doing their leaving and. A university and mathematics and physics and all this kind of stuff yep. and I could see that it was just so easy for him to tap into any other expertise yeah. and yeah. so these guys would usually uh, have a lot uh, it'd be a lot easier for them to t to get through new concepts in math or yep. get their physics homework correct or something yep. like that so I didn't have any of those advantages and I could yeah. see that you know in retrospect it it made it a bit harder for me so yep. I was happy to sit around the 70% mark on a yep. lot of these things and really didn't have the resources or the time as, yep. as I was concerned to get up there yeah however they didn't do any of the fun stuff that I right. did right. so um, one of the things in the in the full, uh, second last year of high school we had a yep. science competition and I came second 
I built a refrigerator. I read all my dad's uh, books on thermodynamics. I talked about entropy and uh, gaseous expansion, latent heat, and all this kind of stuff. And was it was a hot night at the judging, and I made a whole lot of icy poles and was handing them out to the judges. So, you know, that was a that was a bit of bribery and corruption. And actually, that stood me instead good stead because now you you say, well, what's the point of doing a medical discovery if you can't use it for something? So this idea of translation research yeah. is probably something that comes very natural to me yeah it's not just a, a, a thermodynamics it's yeah. can you make an icy pole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so that's where we went and i yeah. and i didn't really have any uh, i really didn't decide to go into medicine until i was doing my tee type yeah. things and uh, i could see that i could do electronics or electrical engineering yeah uh, and i got a scholarship to that do that but i didn't get a scholarship the first year to go to uwa or they got right. admitted to medicine yeah and i said i'd rather do medicine and be penniless yeah uh and then maybe get a scholarship in my second year which is yep. what happened right which everybody used to get yeah. a commonwealth scholarship in yeah. those days yeah and uh, and i just uh loved medicine yeah and i still do and every every time i did any kind of medicine from yeah. then on i'd say I'd come home and uh, say, say to my wife, you know, this is fantastic. I'm yeah. going to be an endocrinologist <laughs> yeah. or I'm going to be a respiratory physician. So anything I did yeah. in medicine, I loved it and uh, ended up, uh, and someone said to me, Barry, uh, yeah, yeah, why don't you sit your fellowship and do yep. internal medicine, uh, which I was happy to do. And uh, anywhere in internal medicine was yep. suited me. Yep. And it was just a bit of a fluke that I got interested in, in uh um, research. Yeah, I used yep. to like it. Yeah, like finding stuff out, if yep. you like. Yeah, uh, but uh, I didn't really have a vision that there would be a research career. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just the inquiring mind led you that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mentioned my wife at this stage, so I got married in fifth year medicine. Yep. And uh, everyone thought it was a shotgun wedding, but it wasn't. <laughs> right. Because we got married. That's your story and you're sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> not that I care. Not that I care. Uh, but uh, we we were kind of going out in fifth year medicine. It was one of those romances that started at Rottnest. Yeah. At Swatback. So yes. No, not Swatback. What's it called? Um, the post-exam yeah, celebrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Um, then we sort of went out for a year, and the towards the end of that year, I think maybe Whitlam came in. And he said, "Oh, I'm raising the student married allowance to fifty dollars a week." We said, "Oh, cripes, we better be in this." <laughs> no better reason. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, that was enough to get us over the over the initial expense and and get out out of our families. Right. My mum abuses me every time I say this. She said. <laughs> You know, it wasn't so bad in your family. Why did why you always say that you wanted to leave home and was just, you know, we wanted to yeah. get out and do our own Have thing. Have your own space. So uh, from fifth year, so we got married over the Christmas holidays. And yep. of course, then my wife got pregnant. And so yep. the next time we, they saw us back at school uh, in, in fifth year medicine, my wife was pregnant. Yep. And we were like, yeah, we got married over the summer. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we had a pretty young family and yep. uh, 
were just unbelievably busy because uh, my wife was doing um, uh, she was doing uh, psychology psychology yep. honors yep. and education as she could fit it around so she had a potentially a pretty good career in that yeah yep. and the medicine career was fine for me yep um, and then I got in, involved in these little research projects yeah. as you do for your fellowship. Yeah. You know, because uh, in college of physicians, they say, okay, every every six to 12 months, you write up a couple of cases or yep. something, some interesting case report, try and get yep. a publication. Yep. So it's a, it's a great way to start. And a lot of Just, people find something very interesting. I mean, yours was obviously exceptionally interesting. Just tell me, because I've heard, you know, people around town have always got a story about, oh, I was there when, you know, Roman showed Barry out of, you know, about yeah. Hilgabak. Tell me what actually, what, what's the <laughs> real story? What actually happened? Well, each, you know, it was my um, second, so I passed my, I failed my, uh, I passed the, Written and failed yep. the Viva on yep. the on the membership at the at the end of seventy uh, eight. Yep, and then uh, failed a SUP Viva. So yep. I visited Melbourne and Adelaide at that point. Then had to reset it and do the Viva again and passed it. Yep. So my first year of my fellowship was nineteen eighty. Yep, uh, and then. By then, I was each year doing some kind of a project case report, things like that. Yep. Uh, by 1980, uh, so then 81 was internal medicine for six months and then gastroenterology. And so yep. in the middle of the year is when I met up with Robin. Yep. And uh, the, my boss was Tom Waters, who died about a, a couple of years ago, I think. He's yep. a senior guy. Uh, and he was from Brisbane and pretty very nice, thoughtful gastroenterologist. And uh, he said, oh, I'll go down and see this, go and, go and see Robin. Because Robin was nagging people about these bacteria for a couple of years. And the surgeon, I think the surgeon used to hate him because we would do gastroenterology rounds and, and they, they would do an antrectomy, yeah. you know, some bleeding ulcer or something. So yeah. you'd end up with a bilroth. Yeah. And, and then the pathologist, Robin, had put up the specimen and showed pictures of these bacteria and say, uh, it's a surgeon, good work. You've removed the infection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think things so, have changed. So, my, you know, mostly it would just go over their heads. Yeah. Um, but decay, I, I'm sure, sure they get a bit cranky from time to time. Anyway, so I had been interested in the microbiology. And there was a guy, John Pierman, was the head of the department, I think, at Royal Perth those yep. days. But, um, you know, if you talk to the basic science, scientists about what I was doing, you know, there, there was always somebody I could sit down and have this kind of discussion and talk about the pros and cons and someone bounce the ideas off. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but uh, when I first down, went down to r talk to Robin, he had collected about 23 or so cases of the helicobacter yep. that he had seen. So we didn't know. It looked like we said Campylobacter because yeah. that was the hot bug in those yeah. days. I remember and that. That was just changing yeah. when I started medicine. So yeah. all of a sudden, what do you know? The most common cause of bloody diarrhea is actually Campylobacter, and that's 50% of everything, and you get it from chickens. Yeah. Mm, there's a connection. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I was a bit interested, maybe because my dad was running a chicken factory, anything to do with chickens possibly. <laughs> it was interesting. Tweaked your interest. Yeah. So I went down, had a talk to Robin. He showed me the, the pictures. 
uh, sections under the microscope. I said, yeah, Robin, there's, there's no way you could get a, a, a homogeneous colonization with bacteria yeah. from being contamination from the mouth. That would yeah. look like all kinds of things, you know, yeah. gram positive, negative, etc. cetera. Uh, so I said, well, you know, I said, this is pretty interesting. Uh, we should try and culture it. And uh, so I went and spoke to the microbiologists and different people and Tom Waters and he said, yeah, Barry, we'll give you uh, an extra biopsy each each time we scope somebody. So we didn't do any ethics or anything in those days. (laughs) (laughs) We've taken biopsies anyway. Yeah. And there were a few people interested in gastritis. So for a few weeks, um, Rob, I, I took an extra biopsy and we'd do a gram stain on a bit of it and I'd take yep. it up to Robin and he'd look at it and we sort of got the feel for the thing, you know. There was yep. a significant number of people that had the bacteria. Yeah. And uh, this, so the thing, the interesting thing was the books said bacteria can't live in the stomach, yep. too much acid. Yes. And because all the teaching was that, they never, ever looked anymore. So since about 1970 or so, nobody had examined gastric microbiology. Right. Now, in that time, the beginning of 1970, approximately, endoscopy yep. started. Yeah. Okay. So all of a sudden, it was like a question they didn't need to ask as far yep. as everyone was concerned. So they had this wonderful new technology and they yep. never used it. All they did was use it to replace bearing meals. Yeah. Yep. So I, I give this uh, this story about uh, my uh, science on the Swan lecture was like this. Yeah. How new technologies come in yep. and most people don't realise that they've got 50 other uses besides yeah. what you invented them for. So yeah. the best thing is, you know, the iPhone or yeah. the smartphone. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, great, I can walk around and make phone calls without yeah. a wire connected to me. Yeah. But, you know, millions of opportunities opened yeah. up because of that. So endoscopy was like that. And there were only a few people in the world with enough brain power I suppose to say we should be doing all kinds of physiological microbiology chemistry of the stomach trying to figure out what's going on down there now that we can take biopsies so so you can imagine so this with a new technology and a few other discoveries around the place we were just on the beginning of an exponential curve of discovery and uh the key for us was that we were interested in the microbiology in these bacteria. And Robin said, Barry, don't biopsy the ulcer. There's all kinds of garbage there. It's the anatomy's all screwed up. There's always polymorphs. We biopsy at least five centimetres from the ulcer because we want to see what the rest of the mucosa is like. This is where the bacteria right. are living. So, right. right, Robin. So I was getting the biopsies and we were studying them. and. Yeah. Pretty soon, Robin and I could see when he was driving with the gastritis. Yeah, uh, he was there. Like, I'm just trying to do a p-value. I send it to the statistician. And I keep getting this this SPSS printout, and it says point zero 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 zero. I want to know what that p-value is exactly. <laughs> says Robin, and uh, so we. Uh, which I've scratched our head, which we do. So he came back about a week later with the latest Hewlett Packard yeah. uh, 11C, I think it was. It was, a, it was the first Hewlett Packard calculator that was landscape. Mode. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. And he said, This can do factorial 64. So I'm going to do a Fisher's test on this association with gastritis. And he's getting. P equals point nine zeros one. <laughs> it was far 
pretty significant more than any of yeah. the mainframes around the university could calculate right because they didn't the stats package didn't bother after four noughts that's amazing so it's pretty exciting barry thank you so much um we're going to interview you again next week um mm-hmm. so thank you for your time uh, this is fascinating Good time to uh, stop, you know, we're just about making the discovery. (laughs) That, people, will have to wait till next week. Thank you.